Recession clouds darkening. About 30,000 people will be affected by this storm. Amazon, Microsoft, two of the largest companies in the world, laying off another round of employees. Why are they getting rid of workers? That's the question. Just this week, Amazon and Microsoft announced layoffs. 18000 for Amazon, 10000 for Bill Gates' brainchild. Both companies reported revenue increases, yet they are laying off thousands. Revenue is growing, but the rate of growth is slowing down. Still, it's hard to read about these cuts in light of Amazon's CEO earning $200 million and Microsoft's earning $55 million. But oh, how we need to be careful. Whether you're a CEO or a blue-collar worker, greed can be a ruinous god. But I'm thankful for the generosity we find in Jesus. He put his life on the line to save those who couldn't do it themselves. Rich or poor, we all can find our hope in him. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, sharing with you the great story that's all about Jesus. And here on this Thursday, we're in a series called Jesus and the High Price of Eggs. I didn't know it, but it was recorded in Philadelphia and released in late 1973, nearly 50 years ago. The OJs, with their cautionary song called For the Love of Money. The lyrics from the song are quite interesting, talking about how money can be used for good and it can also be used for bad. And so much of the song focuses on how money can be a root of evil. And that is a perfect setup for what we're going to talk about today. We often hear that money is the root of all evil. It's so often misquoted, even misunderstood. That's probably because it almost sounds like it's right. But is this what the Bible really says? Stay with me. We'll be joined again by Dr. Ben Witherington, a New Testament scholar, who will help us better understand this verse. And then we'll take some time to see what it has to say to us today. Recently, I was talking with a friend of mine He's a banker in Texas, outside of Waco. And Mike Beard shared this story with me about sacrificial giving that I wanted to pass along to you. I have had the privilege over the years of interacting with many customers that were Jesus followers, uh, that love the Lord, that really try very hard to honor the Lord in their giving and in their spending and saving and got to reminisce with uh, a gentleman just this morning. We were talking about how the Lord has been so gracious um, over the years and faithful to us, you know, to provide. Anyway, he had he had a quick story that he wanted to share, and it was he and his wife felt like they were hearing from the Lord to make a pretty sizable sacrificial gift uh, that was going to be a stretch for them to a ministry. and. Um, they weren't sure, you know, just in with their with costs going up, with everything that they were looking at for this coming year, to, you know, how everything was going to work out. But they decided to be obedient and go ahead and send the gift. And um, he said it was shortly afterward, uh, you know, after the gift had been sent that um, he got a call uh, about an old piece of equipment that he had that he hadn't used for years that he basically thought had no value whatsoever anymore. 
and uh, turned out that piece of equipment sold for the exact amount of what the gift was that he had just given. And, you know, he was just saying, you can't outgive God. It's just amazing. Uh, and, of course, we know God doesn't always work that way, but in this case, uh, it was just a pretty miraculous story. So I hope that's an encouragement to your listeners to be faithful. Thanks for sharing that story with us, Mike Beard. Mike is the chairman of a bank outside Waco, Texas. And his story reminds me of the inspiring, and I'll be honest, challenging words in Ben Witherington's Jesus and Money book. Ben talks about how the New Testament calls all of us to give sacrificially beyond the 10% demanded in the Old Testament. And all of this reflects what Jesus spoke of. What we treasure in our hearts will be seen by our actions. If you'd like a better understanding on what Jesus taught us about money and how to use it for God's glory, then I can't recommend more highly Ben's book called Jesus and Money. I know it will help you to see that everything we have belongs to the Lord. Call us after the program, won't you, at 800-65-HAVEN, 800-65-HAVEN. Or you can visit us online, read the sample chapter we put there, and then ask for your copy of Jesus and Money at haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. And don't forget, if you're looking for a way to get more into God's Word this year, then I recommend Charles Spurgeon's Morning and Evening Devotional. Ask about that when you call, or read more about it when you visit us online. And now let's open the program with Jeremy Kent and a song called Enough. You are my supply, my breath of life. Still more awesome than I know. You are my reward, worth living for. Still more awesome than I know.
This is Haven Today, Jesus and the High Price of Eggs is our series this week from his Carried Me Worship Project, Jeremy Camp, opening the program with Enough. I'm Charles Morris. Well, we're thinking about a very misquoted and misused verse from the Bible today. Have you ever heard someone say, money is the root of all evil? When I was with Dr. Ben Witherington, I asked him to explain this text to us, and what did the Apostle Paul mean by it? Yeah, that's not what he says. What he says is the love of money. Yep. Yep. And it's not the root. The Greek is pretty clear. A root of all sorts of evil. Not the root. Mm. Mm. It's a root of all sorts of evil. So what he's talking about is the hard attitude towards money. He, he's specifically critiquing greed, of course. The love of... He's, he's critiquing Silas Marner. He's critiquing <laughs> all the, you know, Midas, Croesus, as wealthy as Croesus. He's critiquing people who have let their hearts wander away from or have never been directed towards God. And somehow they think that their security is all based on how much how many material possessions they can obtain or how much money they can get and you know that's a problem of the human heart because frankly there is no everlasting security except in god money is no substitute for god money cannot fill up the god-shaped vacuum in your heart and so when he says a love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. He ain't lying. He's telling the truth. (laughs) Thank you, Ben Witherington. This is Haven Today, the program, Jesus and the High Price of Eggs. I'm Charles Morris. You know, Ben is right. We can't have a series called Jesus and the High Price of Eggs and not turn to this passage in 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 2 through 5. A warning against false teachers who will tempt the church to follow after them. And the Apostle Paul has very strong words to say about them. He tells Timothy that these false teachers were people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And then he continues with one of the most important passages about money in all the New Testament. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we take nothing out of the world, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. In those days, they often talked about certain kinds of sin that led to another kind of sin, like a root leads to a tree. That's what Paul had in mind when he called the love of money a root of evil. And we should realize a couple of things that Paul is not saying. 
First, he is not telling us that this is the root of all evil, just the root of all kinds of evil. There can be evil where there's no money or greed involved. And second, he isn't saying that money itself is the root of all kinds of evil. Money isn't good or bad on its own, but it's the love of money that leads to sin. The apostle is teaching us about the proper attitude towards money and wealth. And the false teachers were lacking in this area. Still are, I might say. They were basically spiritual mercenaries. We know what a mercenary is, of course. A soldier who fights for the commander who is paying him the most. It was a common way of fighting wars in the ancient world. It's still popular in some places today. But what Paul was saying is that these false teachers were basically mercenary pastors. They see the ministry as a way to gain riches, to have their wildest earthly dreams come true. I think that's a pretty terrible thought, ministering for financial gain. It's one of the easiest ways to tell that someone is a false teacher. And Paul was not the only apostle concerned about these things. This is what Peter said to pastors in 1 Peter 5. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. That's what the New Testament teaches. Pastors, true pastors, are not mercenaries. They are servants. And why is that? Well, partly because that's what they've been called to be as pastors, but also because that's what they've been called to be as Christians. All of us, it applies to. Paul reminded Timothy of this when he said, we brought nothing into the world, we take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You've probably heard the old sermon illustration that you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. (laughs) Well, I have now seen a picture of just such a thing. So I guess that illustration is out. But the point is still true. You can't take it with you. And that should make a mature Christian step back and think. Jesus didn't live and die and rise again for us just so that we could be enslaved to one passion or another, whether money and riches or something different. That would just make us into slaves. As we heard yesterday from Christ's own words in Matthew, we cannot serve God and money. And Paul is after something similar here. The true mature Christian is free from this slavery to greed. He or she has been given the ability to exercise self-control and to be content with the blessings God has given us. As my friend Ben Witherington says, independence from the desire for riches and possessions and luxury is based on the premise that we didn't bring anything with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave this world. And as prices keep going up and economic uncertainty continues to rise in our world, this can be a great comfort to you if you're a believer in Christ. You don't really own any of the things you possess on this fallen planet. 
You didn't give them to yourself in the ultimate sense, and we can't take them with us when we leave. And because of that, we should not find our identity in our money or our possessions. That is a wrong attitude. It's really idolatry, in fact. We're putting money and financial security in the place of our God when we do that. And it leads us to sin against others, too. We end up loving money and even using people when the Lord designed it to be just the other way around. And you know, this isn't the only place in First Timothy where Paul addresses wealth and our attitude towards money. In chapter 2, he told us, I want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. This was a real problem then. New Testament scholar James Hurley has this to say, women often wore their hair in enormously elaborate arrangements with braids and curls interwoven or piled high like towers and decorated with gems and or gold and or pearls. Quite a image, isn't it? And this is exactly what Paul had in mind. Dr. Hurley has looked at the evidence from the first century world and concluded that the way some women dressed and wore their hair was a way to show their wealth. Only well-to-do women could have had these hairstyles because they required more than one person to make it happen. You needed a hairdresser or a slave to help you. He tells them this is not the way Christians should go to church and worship God. We should not be distracting others by how nice our possessions are. Christian women should let the focus be on the Lord. We worship, and not on flashy clothes or the style of our hair. So here, in First Timothy, we see Paul telling pastors and Christian women to live and act in certain ways. Why? Because this is how Christians ought to behave. Money is in everything. And the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So when you think about the high cost of eggs, remember what Paul says in 1 Timothy. And remember that there is profit in Christianity, just not the greedy, materialistic kind of profit. We have Jesus. We have everything we could have ever asked for and more. And the Lord will make sure We have what we need in this life, no matter what happens with the price of eggs. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the Ah! Uh-huh.
this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than man's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd Jason Crabb, I'd rather have Jesus. I hope you could sing that song with me as Jason was leading us here on this haven today. Well, you've been hearing me talk about and with Dr. Ben Wetherington. His book is called Jesus and Money, A Guide for Times of Financial Crisis. And I want to be upfront with you. I read this book when it first came out during the Great Recession back in 2008, 2009, and all these years later, I still think it's the best book I've read on the subject. Ben explores what Jesus had to say about money. He uses his New Testament scholar's mind to help you and me understand how we're called to use money. Some of it is challenging, but all of it will help you filter out the world's message that the only way to be happy is to have more money. I know this book will help you better understand what the scriptures tell us about how to use money for God's glory. So I'd like you to have a copy of Ben's book, Jesus and Money, A Guide for Times of Financial Crisis. It's a rare as well as an eye-opening book on how we need to perceive money through the eyes of our Lord. Why don't you call us right now? Why don't you make a gift to the ministry? Maybe your first of the year. But ask for your copy of Jesus and Money. You just need to call 800-65-HAVEN. 800-65-HAVEN. Or there on our website, take a look at the sample chapter we've put up. You can make your gift there and ask for the book at haventoday.org. Our website address, once again, is haventoday.org. And one last thing. 
we still have Charles Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for your gift to the ministry. It's a great way to get rooted in God's Word every day. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow? When again, together, we'll share the great story. It's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. There's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole, as the saying goes. As our danger or threat goes up, our longing for help is right behind. But it's interesting that this saying capitalizes on such a different understanding of prayer. It treats prayer as a walkie-talkie in war. But when we turn to the Word, especially when we see how Jesus prayed in John 17, something becomes much clearer. Prayer is communion with God. Jesus begins his high priestly prayer with a single word, Father. Not general, not sir. He began like we should, Father. Imagine prayer as climbing up in the Father's lap, spending more time with him, receiving his love, being empowered by the Spirit to love others. Spend more time with Jesus with Anchor Devotional. Visit GetAnchor.com.